want to thank you for joining us at Cowboy Junction Church today. As you hear this message, we pray that your faith will grow and you will be both encouraged and challenged. We would really love it too if you would subscribe, rate, review, and share this online. You can also help us reach others by partnering with us financially. You can easily give a one-time gift or set up a recurring gift at cowboyjunctionchurch.com slash give. We hope you enjoy the message today. Y'all ready for today? The more excited you get, the shorter the sermon gets. So here we go. Yeah, here we go. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We need you. Lord, this is a tough little subject we're covering tonight, but there is victory in truth. And I pray, Holy Spirit, it's not my job to tell people what to do. I, I just simply showed up with the seed tonight. And Father, you are sowing into people's life. I pray for the condition of our hearts that we would not be hard-hearted, that we would not be shallow, that we would not have the cares of this world to choke out the life that's coming from this seed, but that we would all have fertile soil and our hearts are conditioned and ready to receive the word that you have for our life tonight. We love you. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're in a series that we just came off a series called Stronger Faith. And there was a statement I made in the series called Stronger Faith, where I said, when I was growing up, I was around a lot of people who had faith. They went to church, they loved God. If you were to ask me if you're a Christian, they'd say, yes, we're Christians, we believe in Jesus. This was this whole thing that revolved around faith. But when I was growing up, there wasn't a practical side to the faith that they were living. They believed in God, they just didn't really operate in their Christianity in their faith, in God's principles. And as I grew older, I began to notice that that was an area that I really felt like I couldn't wait to be a pastor someday and and talk about faith. I love faith. I love faith. I love growing in my faith, knowing that God is real, believing in Him and trusting in Him more. But now the practical side is how does that look in everyday life? So we've been covering this little series now called Stronger Me. It's a piggyback off of the stronger faith because now we're going to talk about what does faith look like in me. And and it's not a self-awareness and it's not a self-discovery me. It's this whole stronger me in that I have a stronger faith and it makes a stronger me. And what does a practical side of walking my faith look like? Today we're going to cover something that I can tell you right now. If you preach on two, these two subjects, and one of them is what we're talking about tonight, but I promise if you teach on these two subjects, people will quit the church. Okay? And and those two subjects are sex and money. And tonight I'm talking to you about money, okay? Now listen, the reason why I'm talking about money is because there is nothing in your life that can shake your life up more than sex or money. And money is one of the common denominators that we all think about, we all worry about, we all all, uh, um, don't think we have enough, Or maybe we thought we did and we spent way more than we actually had. It's all of these things that factor into the whole money category. And and I, I just thought, how in the world could we not talk about money when it comes to being a stronger me with a stronger faith that God has called me to be? There's a little statement I want you to look at. I, I, I wrote this down and I wanted to kick today off with it. My worst decisions were fueled with strong emotional appeal. 
I wrote this down. I wanted you to see it because this is my story of some of the worst financial decisions I ever made in my life. And let me just ask, is there anybody else that you just made a dumb purchase once in your life and you paid for it maybe for years, for years? It was miserable. You, you thought you couldn't live without it. And once you got it, you didn't want to live with it. It was going to be better if it just burned to the ground, you got the insurance money for it, than to continue to pay on this thing. I don't know what your story looked like, but my story, I know what it was like that my worst decisions were fueled with strong emotional peril. The reason I want to bring this up is because that's sometimes how we find ourselves getting into financial trouble. And, then, and it's kind of like having a banana, and you cannot wait to have your banana, okay? And you're craving the banana. You can't wait to have the banana. But as soon as you get the banana, and you get exactly what you want, you're stuck with a peel. This is a joke. You're supposed to laugh at it. It's funny. And it was the appeal. And if you've ever ate a banana, and now you've loved it, it was good, it satisfied you, but now... You're stuck with trying to figure out what to do with the appeal. You can't find a trash can. You try to hand it to your wife, and she says, I'm not holding that thing. And now you just keep carrying something that, that really you thought you wanted, but now you're wondering if you needed it that bad, and you carry it around. And the funny thing about some of our worst financial choices, it was because we had such a strong appeal for it, and appeal then turned into a prison. And if you've ever been stuck in a financial prison, you realize that, that you wish you to make better decisions. You wish you'd have thought about things more. Let me, let me give you a, a scripture that kind of backs up something that, that I, I've kind of been talking about. Jesus is talking in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, and he says this, No one can serve two masters. Okay? This word masters is very interesting. It literally means to own somebody a slave owner, a master. No one can serve two masters. For one, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and he will despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is the negative side of money. And I want to be very clear here. Money is a great thing. I heard an old guy that used to live here a long time ago. He told me one time, I knew I'll forget it. He says, love makes the world go round, but money greases the wheels. And the first time I heard, I got a little mad at that. And then I realized, you know what? He's not half wrong. Love does make the world go round. But money does kind of grease the reels a little bit. And, and I wouldn't take a lot of advice from this man, but he kind of got it close this one time, okay? And, and in this, we have to realize that there is a negative side of money. And you may say, well, Ty, I've heard that money was the root of all evil. No, it says the love of money is the root of all evil. It's this understanding that money takes on the personality of the person who's holding it. It's an inanimate object. It literally takes on the irresponsibility of the person holding it. Or it takes, the responsi- it takes on the responsibility of the person holding it. It takes on the greed and the hoarding of the person that's holding it. Or it takes on the generosity and the faith of the person that's holding it. Money is just a tool. But the condition of our heart dictates what we're going to see or not see out of the money that we receive. You can't serve two masters. And that's the whole story about this, is that you can't be a stronger person in faith 
unless you first come to the point of realizing that you have to have power over money or money will always have power over you. Did you know that money will be the chief competitor for your heart? Without a doubt. It will be the chief, number one competitor for the number one spot in your life. And isn't that very interesting? Because it's just an inanimate object. It's just a thing. It has no personality. It has no way of thinking. It doesn't put itself anywhere. And the reality is, is that it's not the money. It's that we sometimes suffer from this fear of lack or this fear of doing without, or this fear of we don't have enough. And it causes us to make decisions that we have to stop and really ask ourselves, are we wanting to build our plan? Or do we need to put our faith in God's plan? And the the thing about this is it sometimes can be so cliche because we can all be reminded, oh yeah, yeah, God's in control, God's in control. Time out just a minute. Do you realize that if there was no money, if there was no way of bartering, if there's nothing, we would still have to put our faith in something. And right now, we're putting our faith in money because it supplies most of everything we want. But if there was no money, would it be easier to serve God or would we just find something else to put our faith in? It's a condition of our heart. I mean, I looked up the, the word greed. Greed's an interesting uh, uh, study. I kind of came up with my own definition. So this is the Thai bean definition of, of greed, okay? It's the assumption that all of it's for my consumption. Yeah, that's a little wrapping bean going on right there. Uh, listen, listen. The greed is my assumption is it's all for my consumption. It's all about me. It's all about me being the most important, I, 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 me, me, me. And we just got to stop for a minute and realize that greed is one of the most common things in American society right now because it's coming to a point where everything's justifiable because why shouldn't I have the best? Why shouldn't it be about me? And when you get to that point, one of the things you have to realize is that we, we can take our focus off of what is God's plan for our life and put it on what do we want for our life. And if you do that, I just want to give you a pre-warning. You will never be happy. You will never have peace. You will never find joy. You will always be lonely. There will always be a void in your heart. and There will always be an emptiness. And you may say, Ty, that's impossible. I can, nobody knows me better than I know me. And if it's up to me, I can take care of myself better than anyone can. And I'm going to just tell you from since the creation of the world, the way God designed us, you weren't made that way. Your mind's telling you that's how you can be. But you will find the more you get, the less satisfaction it brings you. Without a doubt. I've seen people time and time again that live in greed in such a way that they never have enough. I think one of the greatest examples you ever saw, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Remember the, the pirates that were cursed? And they sailed the seven seas and they had everything and they never died. They just never died. 
But every time they took a bite of the apple, the apple had no taste. Every time they drank wine, the wine had no taste. And it was this point to where they were dead on the inside and they could never enjoy the things that were supposed to bring so much satisfaction. This is the pressure that greed puts on an individual. Money will be the chief competitor for your heart. In today's day and age, there's three things you can do with your money. Okay? You can live with it, you can save it, and you can give it. You can live with it, you can save, and you can give it. That's the same order that most people live out their money. They live, they go play with it, they save it, and they give it. Here's the issue, though, is that if we go in that order of living, saving, and giving, it's funny you never get to saving and you never get to giving because we blow it in the way that we live. We did something with the boys several years ago. When they were little bitty boys, we put little jars up on their shelf. And one jar was for giving, one jar was for saving, and one jar was for living. We basically flipped the way the world does things, and we began to think about generosity and teaching our boys about get generosity. In the giving jar, we had our boys set aside 10% of everything that they made. If they made six bucks, we set aside 60 cents. If they mowed the grass, if they made $20 birthday money, we, we set aside 10% and put it into savings. Same, or excuse me, into giving. Same thing we did with savings. 10% we put into savings. And then also, we put 80% into living. The living definition was they can do whatever they want to with the 80%. What we're trying to teach our boys is how not to live first, but to remember where it came from first. We wanted our kids to experience generosity and honor for the one who gave it to them before anything else. Now, you may turn and say, yeah, but you're the pastor, and these are the pastor's kids, and you were just trying to get your kids money. If I wanted my kids' money, I would just take my kids' money. And if the church needed the money that bad, I'd just take all 100% of it, dump it in the bucket, and then put the, 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 the canisters back on the shelf, and my boys would walk in and go, where'd the money go? And I'd go, I don't know. Irresponsibility, I told you, you should have kept up with it. And the fact is, the church doesn't need their 60% or their 60 cents. The, guy, the church doesn't need it. They need it. They need to understand what conditioning their heart for God's blessings can do. That in Him is where we find our joy. In Him is where we find life. To then set aside 10%, which is their savings, because that's always smart. But then to live. Us beans, we're all about living. Heck, Heather'd rather spend money on food than fashion. It's this attitude of realizing that God has set up a way of living with our finances that brings rest and joy and peace. In Matthew chapter 6, the verse I just read about you can't serve two masters, he goes on from down from there. And, and if, if Jesus is bringing up this, this idea of you can't serve two masters, the, the masters that he's referring to is you can actually owe so much money and be in debt that you can never get God yeses because you owe somebody a yes before you give God a yes. 
Your life is so wrapped up in no's. No, God, I can't. No, God, I can't. Because you said one big yes. And that's what it's like to be a master. But after preaching this over Sunday, I had an incredible young man come up to me. He was in his 30s. And he came up and he said, I really enjoyed the message. He said, but we're completely debt-free. I'm kind of on the other side of the category. And I said, really, tell me about how do you feel mastered, but you're debt-free? And he said, because every day I wake up and I owe no one anything, but all day long, all I can think about is, do I have enough? 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 And here I should look around me and count my blessings. Here I should look around me and realize that I have made some great decisions in life, but I live in stress and worry and fear, and I'm as much a slave being debt-free because I worry all the time about money as the guy who is completely in debt and he owns the ba- owes the bank and the credit card so much. So can you see that your mastery could just be the condition of your heart? And when it really boils down to it, the end of Matthew chapter 6, and this is kind of your little homework for tonight, to go home and read what Jesus is telling them about these masters and mammon that can control your heart so much. And at the end, he turns and says, don't worry about your life. Look at the lilies of the field. Are they not covered with all the splendor? Even Solomon in his best clothes were not dressed as well as that flower. And the birds, look at the birds. Do I not provide a nest for them? Do you not think that I love you even more than any one of these creatures? It's more than food, and it's more than clothing. Then he turns and he says, you've got to remember this. The greatest in the kingdom of God is not the guy who has the most stuff. The greatest in the kingdom of God is the one who can serve the most. And he said, come follow me while I'll show you what this type of serving looks like. And Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And the disciples said, no, 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 don't wash my feet. And, and, and Jesus turns and says, how in the world are you ever going to be like me if I first don't serve you so that you can serve others? Sometimes we get everything flip-flop upside down. The fact is, is that we have to keep in mind that retirement is very important. Savings is too. Becoming debt-free in the whole grand scheme of things, if we can seek God and his righteousness, all of these things will be added unto you. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul speaks up. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is talking about, are you mastered? And Paul begins to talk about in Galatians chapter 5, this whole new idea of thinking. And this is exciting. You guys really got to check this out. So cool. He says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. Everybody say liberty. By which Christ has made us free. Everybody say free. Free. When was the last time you experienced some freedom? And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. I think in every one of our ways, we know what that feels like. You can be the guy that has credit card debt, student loans, 
a house payment, and you feel trapped, and you've never given God a full yes because you owe the yes to somebody else, and you keep telling God no. Or you can be the guy that has freedom, but he worries every day, and he frets every day. What would freedom look like in your life to where you never had to put on the yoke of bondage again? Verse 13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. I really want you to look at this. You have been called to slow down and think that your Father in heaven has put a mandate on your life of a calling to have liberty, to step out in freedom, to be the person God has called you to be. Not only only do not use liberty, freedom, as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, what does it say? Serve one another. Why do we get freedom? The chains have fallen off. I have the ability to go do what it is God's called me to do. But what has he called us to do? Find a need and fill it. Go love somebody. Go go be a blessing. Be an encouragement to someone. For all of the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I love it. So we're going to wrap this up. And I want to just take a few moments to just talk to you about a few things I think is so important. One of the things I think you should write in your Bibles, you should write in your heart, and you should really get this to be your mindset, your mantra for the rest of your life, is this. We want the freedom to always give God a yes. Can you imagine if you position yourself in life to where if God would ever ask you to do anything, you could go do it. To have the kind of financial stability to where if God said, I need you to go here and do this, you could say, okay. Um, it's crazy. It's wild. Most people never get an opportunity like this, but that's why I did what I did, and that's where I'm at, what I'm, and that's why I made the decisions I'm just, I'm just decided to do. And you were able to give God a Yes. What if God turned to you and said, this summer in June, I want you to go to Africa, and I want you to just check out their wheel drilling program. You don't have to preach. You don't have to hold a crusade. I just want you to go check out a village and see what kind of water they had. And for the summer, all just, just, you just got away and just went for a tour of Africa to go look at how Overland Missions did stuff and just to see what would it take to get a well drilling vehicle in, in Zambia somewhere. And, and all of a sudden... You gave God a great big yes where you didn't even know it was possible for you to do something like this. Heck, nobody in your family's ever done anything like this. But this isn't between God and them. This is between you and God. What if you positioned your life, yourself in your life to where you never gave God another no? See, one of the things that I'm learning is direction determines our destination. Just a little cliche, but I kind of had fun with this. But kind of one of the things we think about is, is we think about the destination, but we don't think about the direction. And the reason why I want to bring this up and the reason I want to bring this to everyone's attention is we can't ever get to a destination like giving God a great big yes if we don't think about where we're directed to right now. Question, where are you pointed I mean, seriously, if the compass is always pointing north, 
where's your spiritual compass right now? Is it, uh, I'd like to someday. Right now, uh, or, or maybe we can't say yes because we're so locked to a no. Where are you pointed? Because wherever your direction is, it'll eventually take you to your destination. And the reason why I want to point this is because if you're in the room and you're going, Ty, I have made some poor decisions. You did. But what if tonight we made some decisions that I never want to tell God no again? And Father, what would it take to spend the next several years, next several months, next several weeks, whatever it is, to begin to change my direction to we'll begin to shift in just a short amount of time, we can get to the place where we can start thinking about positioning my life to give God great big yeses. Sometimes one of the things that we do is this. Next, direction, not intention, determines our destination. Because we can sit here and intend about it all the time, all, all day long. One day I'm finally going to get that paid off. One day I'm finally going to focus on that. One day, one day I'm finally going to free up. And intention never got anyone anywhere. It was all direction. You know where I got this? From satellite radio. Listen to channel 111, Dave Ramsey. Has anybody else listened to Dave Ramsey? It is about the coolest guy on the radio. I love listening to Dave. Now, now here is a fun thing about this. Is Dave jumped out, and he will talk about direction all the time. And he will talk about, it's not where you're at, it's where you're going. It's not where you're at, it's where you're going. And he begins to cast vision towards people. And, and the other day, I was listening to him. I had to drive from um, Wickenburg, Arizona, all the way back home. And so I just listened to Dave all the way home. And it's fascinating. People call up and they say, Dave, I don't think you can fix me. I'm in a horrible financial situation. Uh, here's where I'm at. And he gives all the, people give all the information. And Dave begins to walk them through how they're going to get out of where they're at and how they're going to get to financial freedom. Okay? And over and over and over again, as people call in, I think to myself, this is it. Dave can't fix this one. Dave can't fix this guy. And Dave fixes him. And Dave says, in three years, you're going to be doing this. And this is going to be great. You ought to do this and this. Until all of a sudden, this lady calls in. I'm driving down the road. And she calls in. And the moment she called in, she began to rattle off her stuff. And she said, Dave. He said, hello, how are you? And she said, I'm great, how are you? And he goes, any better? He says something that's so funny. I can't remember what he says. What's that? Better than I deserve. Better than I deserve. That's right. And he goes, she goes, Dave, I've got $15,000 worth of credit card debt. I owe $30,000 on my car. I owe $300,000 on my house. And I owe $100,000 on my student loan. Dave, I make $35,000 a year. And I need to know, how do I get out of this situation? And I'm driving down the road, and I go, this is it. This is it. This is when Dave goes, ain't no way, sister. You won the, you won the prize. You're, you're, you're bankruptcy. That's your, that's your answer. You're going to be bankrupt. And Dave goes, okay, here's what we do. I'm like, Dave, don't even try. Don't even try. And now I'm turning up the radio. I'm leaning in. And Dave goes, here we go. How bad do you want to be out of debt? 
And she goes, Dave, it's swamping me. I'm overwhelmed. All I can think about is bankruptcy and someone told me I needed to call you. And he goes, okay, here we go. First of all, what's your house worth? She goes, $600,000. And he goes, okay, so you owe $300,000. Your house is worth $600,000. Your house is officially up for sale. And she goes, what? And he goes, yep, your house is up for sale. And she goes, Dave, I love my house. And he says, you have to choose. Do you love your house more than you love the debt you're in? She goes, well, I don't, I, I don't love my debt. And he goes, then your house is up for sale. And it's not that you won't ever buy another house. We got to get you into something smaller so that you can afford the amount of money you make and, and, and walk her through. And then when we sell this house, then you'll be able to apply it to here and here and here and here. Okay. Then he turned and he said, now your job, you make 35000 a year. How often do you work? And she says, five days a week, Dave, eight hours a day. And she turns to Dave, oh, he turns, Dave turns to her and says, okay, first thing I want you to do is go get a second job. And you're going to work from 6 to 10 every evening, Monday through Friday. It's silence on the other end, okay? And then he says, you're going to get a third job. And every Saturday, you're going to work from 8 in the morning to 10 o'clock at night, waitressing, whatever you got to do. And I'm going to give you Sundays off. <laughs> and there's silence. He goes, Dave. I can't get three jobs. And he said, let me put it this way. And this is one of his favorite sayings. You're going to work till your lips hurt. And I don't even know what that means, okay? But you're going to work till your lips hurt. And you're going to work for three years, and you're going to apply this money towards this debt. And he's, then all of a sudden something happens. Dave says, at the end of three years, you're going to keep all three jobs, and I want you then you're to be, you're going to be debt-free, and Dave starts painting a picture for her. You're going to be taking 50% of everything you make and sticking it back in a mutual fund, in a Roth IRA. You're going to be doing this for the next three years, and then after three years, I'll let you get rid of one job. You're going to be working two jobs for another three years, sticking 50% back, and then we're going to narrow this down to one job. Then we're going to go in, and we're going to start putting 15% back for your kid's college fund. We're going to be putting uh, so-and-such back for a house. We're going to be doing this. We're gathering wealth. And he said, and by the time you're 65 years old, you will have $1.3 million in the bank. Now, keep this in mind. 30 seconds ago, she owed almost a million dollars in debt. But now, because her direction has changed, so has her destination. And she went from being mastered over much to being free and her future looking better than it did 30 seconds ago. This is the same story that can take place in your life too. Some of the things Dave says is we've got to practice debt snowball. Another thing Dave says is, is step, baby step number three is to gain three to six months of expenses and savings. Can you imagine being debt-free and having six months of your expenses set back to where if you lost your job, if something happened, if a boss came in and said, hey, we got to cut your pay, you could just simply turn and go, well, I'm not working. I can do it because i got six months just to kick back and relax and wait for the job that God wants for me. Most people don't ever experience this because we don't have something like that. When I was a little boy, I remember my 
grandparents called all the family in. And we sat around this, this, this house, and our family's huge on the bean side. And all the grandkids were around, and grandma and grandpa did something that to this day I've never experienced again. They had a mortgage burning. Remember back in the day, they used to have mortgage burnings? That's like a rarity today. People are like, why would they burn a mortgage? Because they paid off the house. And the bank used to send the mortgage in the mail. Dan, you remember days like this? And the mortgage used to come in the mail. And grandma and grandpa would hold up the mortgage to the house and they'd get out a flint. This flint, get it, a cigarette light, okay. And they would burn the mortgage and right there in front of the family, they would burn the mortgage. And everybody would cheer and holler. And nobody does that today. You know why? Because everybody still owes on their house. But what I love about changing a destination and changing a direction is it causes couples to start talking and thinking about, we could pay our house off. You know how cool it would be to be in our 50s and our 60s and not have a house payment? And all of a sudden, the vision is cast. And all of a sudden, we begin to feel the freedom of knowing that we could retire and give God yeses. We could be in our 50s and give God yeses. We could be in our 40s and give God yeses. And it teaches young people that if we don't make financial decisions that put us as slaves and put a master over us, and we don't worry about money, but we be the people who God wants us to be smart with our money and smart in our ministry, all of a sudden we begin to find that we're free to be the people that God's called us to be. This is a stronger me. And this is a stronger you. And this is going to require some stronger faith. But think about it. It's stronger faith because financially, you never have to tell God no ever again. We're going to do something cool. Okay, so let me just, if you are in this room and you're like, I needed a night. Man, I needed a night so bad. I needed it for all kinds of reasons. Then I want you to get your phone out right now. Just get your phone out, pull it out, okay? Pull your phone out, put it out in front of you. Apparently nobody needed this message tonight, so uh, get your phone out. And there's a reason why. Because maybe you're interested in going to Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University class. Guess what? We're fixing to have one. In November. And as of right now, this is a shocker. Y'all guys get ready. This blew me away. In three services, 88 people have signed up for the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University. And that's not just people. That's couples. So I think that's like 350,000 people that just registered for <laughs> Dave Ramsey. Okay, and here's what we want you to do. Get your phone. And I want you to send a text. Okay? The person you're going to send the text to is 97000. Right up the top, you're going to send it to 97000. And then the message you're going to send is CJ Next Steps. CJ, N-E-X-T-S-T-E-P-S. And I want you to hit send. Okay? And just wait a minute, and you're going to hear this ding, and they're going to reply back to you. Okay? And it's going to have this little thing, download, click on it, and it'll start downloading. And this invitation is going to come to go to Next Steps. Okay, click on it. You just do that right in church, right? Now, this is so cool. The pastor's actually telling you to play on your phone, okay? And then it's, when you go to that next steps, it's going to ask your first name, your last name, your telephone number, your email address, okay? 
And the fifth thing is you're going to go through a list of things you're interested in. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. Go to H. And H is you being interested in Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University. And you're going to click on it. Okay? And you hit send. And automatically you have shown interest in going to the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University class taught in November. Does that sound cool? Yes, yes. It's only begun how cool this is, okay? Let me tell you how much even better this is. Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University costs $100 to $150, which I always thought was the most bizarre thing because these are people who don't have money anyway. So why would they pay to go? But, but you know, you've got, Dave's got to sell it, okay? Or, we kid, have you bring your $100. On the day one of class, you come with your $100 in hand. And Mr. Clay Harden will take your $100 and write your name down, take $100, write the next name down. And if you would do something, if you would go to the eight of the 10 classes, that's it, there's 10 classes. And if you'll go to eight out of the 10 of them, at the end of the class, we will give you your $100 back. And here's why. That's how much your church believes in the freedom that we want to see in your life to do what God has called you to do. Now, if you get busy, if you get distracted, if you don't take this serious, we're going to keep your $100. Just let you know right there, okay? And it's going to go towards the pastor's vacation fund. No, it's not. I better be careful. That's, I better not joke around with stuff like that. No, it's not, Okay? But if you just follow through on eight of the ten classes, at the end of it, we're going to give you $100 back, and you can go to Chili's. You can celebrate. I, went to, I, I did Dave Ransby's class. I'm going, to, I'm going to buy whatever I want. Or you could maybe take that $100 and apply it to something that during the class, the Lord laid on your heart that you needed to get that paid off now. And we just contributed towards your first $100 to be debt-free in that area. I don't know how you could pass up a deal like this. And it's how much we believe in freedom over mastery. Last thing. The end of the year offering is coming up. And it is going towards the expansion of our new facility. And there was a day in Heather and I's life to where moments like this made us cringe. Because we didn't have the money. But God has blessed us to where now we can pray about what do you want us to give. And we love giving God great big yeses. Yes, Lord, your servant is listening. And at the end of the year, December 9th and 10th, we all come together as a church. And we give exactly what God has put in our heart to give. And when, if everybody does what they're supposed to do, then everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. And that goes a long way. You guys have been great. I hope this freed some stuff up, both for those that feel the worry over money and the mastery over that, that, that debt can have over you. And I hope this changed your direction because your decision was made tonight. It's time for things to change. And I need, a, 
I want to be a stronger me. And I want my faith to be stronger because we, we got freedom over finances. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I thank you for this crew. I think there's a lot of chewing going on, Lord. I think there's a lot of thinking going on. From the looks of when I look around this place, there wasn't anybody asleep. There wasn't anybody dozing off. I think we're all just thinking, could it be that we could actually feel a freedom like we've never felt before to be the person that you have called us to be? And Jesus, right now, I just pray over anything that would want to keep us from being that person in you. They have no authority over our mind. They have no authority over our heart. Greed has to leave. Debt has no control except for the control we give it. And Father, we're ready to put control back in your your possession. Holy Spirit, I pray for my friends. I pray that you would lead them, that you would bless them with your presence and give them the wisdom they need to go be stronger in you and their faith in you. Lord, we love you. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. The prayer team would love to pray for you guys. Um, As you exit, if there's anything that you need prayer about, come over here and see Johnny and Shauna, and, and they would absolutely love to pray with you guys. I love you. Jesus loves you. Don't you ever forget it. It's time for us to love God and love people and have no limits in our life. You guys have a great week in the Lord. See you later.